0: All right, so today we're going to wrap up a series of messages uh, that I've been working on. on uh, we've been going through about heaven and hell. Now, listen, last week we had the Rodriguez family here, which was amazing, uh, from Columbia, missionaries. It was really, really cool to have them here. So I uh, thought I would get you caught up a little bit on heaven and hell and what we've been talking about. If you've missed anything the last two weeks and then, um, or today, if you want to pass it on, Uh, Go to our website, the church website, lantana.church, or you can go to the app and um, we have the videos there, the podcast is there. But um, I would really encourage you to catch up on these teachings because I think they're um, pretty good as far as that goes. But uh, we dealt previously with a couple of different ideas. One was on eternal life. What that looked like, we wanted to set up this idea of eternal life and how we think of eternal life differently than um, they did the ancient Jewish culture thought of it. But then also we're going to talk a little bit about uh, heaven. Uh, we did that last time. What is heaven? What does that look like? And uh, maybe some misconceptions that we have um, that maybe, you know, we sometimes think it's going to be an eternal church service. Um, maybe that we will be issued like harps and, um, and wings at the door, uh, sitting on a white cloud, those kind of things, which we don't really find t- taught in the scripture. Uh, we also looked at the way the ancient Jewish culture thought of eternal life and of heaven. And uh, this was the culture that Jesus kind of grew up in. And the way they thought about it was, for them, it was more along the lines of all of earth being restored to what it had intended to be when God created the Garden of Eden. And so that was kind of the way they thought about it. And Jesus never talked differently about that. In fact, Jesus affirmed that in some instances. So that's kind of the way that we think about that. And, you know, Revelation 21, John talks about the vision that God gave him. John says um, in Revelation 21 that he sees a a new uh, heaven and a new earth coming out of the sky and basically God is going to make his resting place among us. And the life that we live now is a cursed life. That's why it's hard to work. That's why relationships are hard. That's why bodies are hard. That's why people die. God didn't intend for any of that to happen. But because of sin, it all did. Um, We talked about how our bodies will look differently in eternal life and uh, that we'll still have bodies, but they'll be glorified. We take an idea or look at Jesus after he was resurrected. We also talked about what we will do with our time. And I do want to mention something here. I I talked about worshiping God. Maybe I should have hit on this more and I will. uh, We'll circle back to that in the future. But um, we have a tendency to make all things in our life about us. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, it's just human nature that we make things about us. We make everything in our life about us. We make everything in, in our world about us. We make the church about us. We make the Christian faith about us. And we make heaven about us. About what we want. About what we like. About what we'll see. But I, I want to remind you that it's all about God. It's all about God. So when we do get to step into eternal life, it's going to be all about God you will be in his presence. And scripture speaks about this idea that when you're in his presence, you won't be able to but help and worship him. And so we'll be in his presence and it will be a time of worship and it will be a time of of praise and honoring and glorifying him. I do believe there also will be relationships and that there will be work and there will be recreation. I think all those things will happen. But it's going to be different because it's not about us. And it's not about if we like swimming or we like boating or we like a big house or we like, it's just gonna be about him. And I'm really interested and anxious to see what that looks like because I can't wait. This is what I think about heaven. I can't wait to meet Jesus face-to-face. Won't that be awesome? And how will you respond when you're able to talk to him face-to-face that first time? Man, it's going to be amazing. Um, We also talked about things that we do here that will be allowed to go on over there. Um, And it's something we need to consider if we're planning on spending an eternity with God. Because how we think about heaven will impact how we live on this earth. Because life doesn't, it doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts now. It's just that when we die, we step from this age, remember we talked about that, into the age to come. But eternal life, when you enter his kingdom, you can have that today. And that's amazing. So today we're going to talk about hell. Just throw that right out there. It's not a pleasant topic, but I do think it's something that needs to be addressed. It's not anything that Jesus shied away from, and I don't think we should either. So I have some thoughts. I've said and I will continue to say about this um, this is nothing that we can afford to get wrong. This isn't a doctrinal issue that we can kick around and hypothesize about and and you know guess about what's going to happen. So I'm not playing around with some doctrinal hypothesis here. What I'm doing is talking about a destiny issue. I mean, I'm simple-minded. If the Scripture says it, I believe it. Some may argue that things in the Scripture, including hell, should not be taken literally. And you maybe have heard that before. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think, and again, I don't think it's anything that we can get wrong. If we believe the Scripture is true, and this is why I think the way I do, then we've got to believe the scripture is true. We can't take the things in scripture that we like, the ones that talk about how awesome it is and how blessed we will will be and how our salvation can be had because Jesus died on the cross and, and believe all of those things, but then not believe the things that we don't like. If you're going to believe the scripture, then you believe the scripture or don't. Like, there's no middle road here. And I think that as time goes on, and and especially in some books that I've read and some people that that I've heard speak and some articles that I've read, people like to pick and choose what they will and won't believe. But if we're going to believe the Scripture, let's just set that as a baseline, then we need to believe the Scripture. And this is a difficult topic, not only because it's hard to talk about, but because real live people are headed to hell. And I'm not talking figuratively, I'm I'm saying real people. Your hairdresser, the grocery checker, your neighbor, your co-worker, the waitress at the restaurant, us. Like, there is a danger of going to hell if our life is not right. And it should cause us to shudder. Should we take another breath Another step, speak another word without going and telling people about Jesus and the freedom that we can have through Him? Does it weigh on us so that we have to speak about it? And I got to tell you, this is one of the reasons that I don't like talking about this. It's uncomfortable because I like to focus on the positive. I love that I can be set free in Jesus. I love the way that I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I love how the presence of God can give me a feeling of closeness and unity with it. I love all of that. In fact, in, if you take StrengthsFinder or know anything about that, one of my top five strengths is positivity. I just, just wanna focus on the positive. It's all good. We're gonna be good. It's good. But there is something that we need to talk about and address. And and Jesus talked about it, and it's in the Bible. All right, so first thing is this. We we just want to ask some questions about hell. What is it? It, First, I want to tell you that it's a real place. And and as we go through this today, by the way, if you want to follow along the notes, which I would encourage you to do, get the church's app and go to the the notes there, and all the message notes will be on that. Uh, Matthew 25, 41 says this. Then he will also say to those on his left... Depart from me, accursed ones, into the, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. You know, some have said there is no hell. Um, or maybe that it's talking about hell on earth. I've heard that too. And listen, I want you to understand, I do believe sin can cause situations that are like hell on earth. I do believe that. I, I believe that um, when a child is molested... I believe that when somebody's life gets away from them, whenever um, an addiction causes somebody to struggle or when somebody is stuck in an abusive relationship, those things are, can be probably equated, especially if you're living through them, to like a hell on earth. But like I said from the outset, I don't think we can get to into this line of thinking, not just because it's unpleasant, just because it's unpleasant doesn't doesn't mean it's not real, but Jesus clearly explains that there is a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, and that people who do not know him will go there. It's Jesus' words, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. I think it's a place of suffering. In Luke chapter 16, we read this. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. I think it gives us a snapshot of what it'll be like there. The rich man in his suffering is still the same person. So I think it's fair to say we'll maintain our personality. We'll know what's going on. We're going to be aware of that. In his torment, he still knows it. He's thirsty for just one drop of water and just one moment of relief. Then he asks for somebody to go and warn his family Mark also gives us a description in Mark chapter 9. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. You guys know me, and I think that we always can't take the English translation at face value. We need to dig into the Greek a little bit and see what exactly was Jesus trying to say here. So. The Greek word here is, uh, is a common word called Gehenna. Gehenna. And that is actually a place outside of Jerusalem. Another book I read theorized that there was no hell. It was just talking about a hell on earth and that Gehenna, which was a literal place, was what they were referring to is this huge trash dump outside of Israel. And it was an interesting place. They set it on fire, obviously, to burn the trash. And so um, trash would burn and it would go uh, all the time. And it, actually the, the fire was, would never go out. And when somebody would die that didn't have a family or uh, there was a, um, a condemned criminal who had died, they would actually throw them in this dump. There were worms that it, it was known to have infested this dump. That dump is a picture of the torment. And the way the Greek is written is when it uses that word Gehenna, it's saying that hell will be like that. The inference is not that it is that, but it will be like that. I also think it's an eternal place. Matthew chapter 25 says this, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Some think there will be an end to suffering. Once again, I'm not trying to prove a doctrine here. I, I have no interest in that. I have no interest in pushing people away either. But I can't, af- I can't afford to be wrong on what I'm telling you here because people's lives are at stake. So if we believe the scripture, we have to look at this and see that it uses the, the same word to describe punishment as Life that's eternal, okay? It's the same Greek word used here. The Greek word used here is anion. You might remember ion, spelled A-I-O-N, that we discussed earlier, that's more qualitative than quantitative. In other words, its focus was uh, not on its length of time, but on an age to come. Remember that? It's not a specific amount of time. It's just this other age. So it's that same root word, that's used. So its focus is not on a length of time. It, the only way to interpret anion here is everlasting. In other words, without going into all the Greek, the only way for the punishment to end is if life in the age to come would end also. It's saying that the, the same, it's using the same root word and the way it's written is it's eternal. And if it wasn't eternal, that means that eternal life, where heaven is, also would not be eternal. So if we believe in eternal heaven, then we have to believe in eternal hell. So here's what I want to get into. How can God do this? You ever thought about that? Like, how, how can God do this? If God is a God of love... then how in the world can we believe that he would create a hell and that he would send people there? I know it's a question you've asked yourself. First, Isaiah 55. This is God speaking through Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither is your ways, declares the Lord As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I would only ask, are we arrogant enough to think that we can truly understand God? Do we think we can understand or adequately explain the complexity of the being who is God? A lot of us try, but do we really think we can? Some of us will say, well, I wouldn't have done that. In thinking about God, we can definitely say his way, not our ways, right? Early in the Bible, we read that people have become very evil. So what did God do? He sent a flood and killed everybody. Wouldn't have done that. Later on, Moses is up on the mountain. I don't know if you guys remember this. He's receiving the commandments, remember? And when he comes down, the people are worshiping a golden calf. Moses comes down, he loses his mind and he, God commands the Levites to get their swords and run through the camp, killing people. Probably part of the story you don't remember. 3,000 of their brothers and sisters and children died that day. And the Levites were blessed for their obedience. Again, it's not what I would have done. Years later, God commands the Israelites to slaughter every inhabitant of Canaan. Men and women and children and dogs and cows and kill them all. I mean, can you see what I'm talking about? God does some crazy things that I would never do. How about this? Like rescuing sinful people from their sin and sending his son to take on human flesh. Would you have thought to allow your created beings To torture and crucify your child? Would it have even crossed your mind? I wouldn't have done that. The fact is, Scripture is filled with divine actions that just don't fit our human standards of logic or morality. But they don't need to. Because God is the potter and we are the clay. And then here's another one do we really think we need to protect God? I think we need to stop trying to protect God and quit apologizing for him. Here's what Francis Chan said about that. I really believe it's time for us to stop apologizing for God and start apologizing to him for being embarrassed by the ways he has chosen to reveal himself. I think it's a hard subject And we so desperately want our friends to come to know Jesus Christ that we don't talk about the hard things. We just don't say things that are hard. You know, we've been talking about God's love. We've talked a lot about God's love. I have to tell you, it's it's when I realized, and those who have been here for a while know this, when I realized that God loves me no matter what, and the depth of his love for me, it changed everything about me. I mean, I responded to that. But what about his justice? We can't disregard that. So I think it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult subject to talk about. But this is what it is. And this is a bit based in the scripture. And again, if we're going to believe any of the scripture, then we need to believe all the scripture. So what does this have to do with me? I think that's a good question, don't you? What does this have to do with me? How does this affect me? In Luke chapter 18, there's a story. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So, what is it to inherit eternal life? When the rich man speaks, my interest goes way up. Because this is Jesus' opportunity to clearly and concisely explain to him how do you get to heaven. And so Jesus gives them six commands. I don't know if you pay attention to them. Six commands that all deal with our relationship with others. It's interesting, right? I'm gonna, let's read another scripture. This is a long one, so stay with me. Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty Or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you, he will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I don't know if you're beginning to see a pattern here, the same one that I'm picking up on, but it seems like it's all about others. Are you seeing that? Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy on your name and drive out demons and, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So what is the will of God? What is it that Jesus says are the greatest commandments. Remember that? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. I think the word that scares me in this particular scripture is the word many. Many will say to me, many will say to me, did I not do these things in your name? And he's gonna look at you and say, I don't even know you. Listen, going to heaven is more than having your ticket punched. I feel like we've done a disservice in the Christian world by boiling this whole thing down to the lowest common denominator. I mean, we teach that all you have to do is ask for Jesus to save you. And while that's true, he truly does save you. When he does, your life should change. Let's not be discouraged. I mean, I think this takes us to a good place. This paints a picture of how we can get to heaven. God's doing everything he can to help us avoid hell. Now, remember, hell was made for the devil and his angels, right? Jesus tells us that. It wasn't made for us. But here's the thing, the way that we live on this earth, when we get to enter eternal life, how you live now and who you follow now is how you will enter that eternal life. Are you going to enter eternal life with God or without him? It's just two choices. And the thing is, where I think people get it wrong, is I really believe that we have this idea that all we have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. And he does. But then we can live how we want, continue to live in sin. And it's all going to be okay. But I'm here to tell you that it is not. It is not. If he truly saves you and you truly are following him and you are at work growing this relationship with him and his image is being restored in your heart, you cannot continue to choose sin. You just can't. And I think it's, it even gets to the place where more than you're not allowed to choose sin, like I think it gets to a place where you, you, you can't. You just don't want to. It's just not appealing to you. And this is the work of the image being restored. This is the work of being sanctified. This is when God says, Be holy as I am holy, that's what He's talking about. Pursue Him in holiness and righteousness. Holy Spirit, fill me with your. I only desire what you desire. And as our lives change, that's us pursuing Him. And when we step into eternal life, we step with Him. I mean,. It's not like there's a list of rules and you have to go follow them and then that's how you get to, that's not it at all. As we fall madly and truly in love with Jesus, then we just continue to choose him. God has done everything he can to help us avoid going to hell. He does not want you there. But the people who are choosing to go there Do they think that, or even us, do we think, does anybody think that they're going to go to heaven and they're going to have fun there? Because heaven's going to be in the presence of God. Like the kind of presence that our flesh, our human bodies cannot exist in. Now, only in our glorified bodies, in his literal presence. That's not going to be, they're not going to want that either. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And if you're not bowing and confessing now, then you're not gonna wanna be in heaven. I mean, I guess you will wanna be. You won't want the torment. But you need to choose God now. That's the thing. And the, the other thing is choosing God is makes your life so much better now. It's such a better life now. I just think that we need to understand and people need to know and maybe churches and pastors, we need to talk about this more often. Hell is real. God's wrath is real. But here's the cool thing. Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath. Did you know that? That's amazing. You don't have to be the recipient of the wrath of God. You can bypass that whole thing. Every time my kids get in trouble, I know they're trying to bypass the wrath, right? That's what happens. God has given us that way to bypass it because Jesus paid the price. Jesus' death satisfies God's wrath. Sometimes we sit around and talk about how terrible and horrible hell is, and it is. But God did something about it. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He has given us a way out. You don't have to die holding on to your sins, hoping that things will work out because they will not. And this is what people need to know. We're holding the bag, saying, well, "When I meet God, I hope things work out for me. You don't, that's, you don't have to do that. You can know for certain that they will work out by accepting him, receiving him, being, and then begin to live for him. And here's the cool thing, once that God has forgiven us, once we've received him, once we've started to live for him, then our lives begin to change. And that's where we have missed the boat whenever we say, all I need to do is ask Jesus to forgive me, then I get to go to heaven. Because just asking Jesus to forgive me does not mean that I begin to live a changed life. That comes as we begin to work that relationship with the Spirit, as He fills us, as He walks with us, as He moves with us, as we learn to hear His song and harmonize with it. I think it's a beautiful thing. So in the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned, and that set this whole thing into turmoil, right? God immediately went to work redeeming all of creation. And he is at work redeeming us today. We're gonna close with a song here and I just think that uh, we need to take a minute and think about that. Give an opportunity for us to pray this morning. I think there's two ways this prayer can go. One, you're questioning. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus super easy to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins and begin to live for him. Maybe you know somebody in your family a son or daughter, mom or dad brother, sister somebody that doesn't know Jesus like this and you want to pray for them.